Welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For further information and other resources, please visit vineyardcleveland.org. We're going to continue our series in Living Hope. I sense from the Lord as we were preparing for this season of Lent that He would want us to focus on hope and specifically how He is our living hope. And so in 1 Peter 1, 3, we read that Jesus Himself is our living hope, that He comes to restore, to redeem. And as we journey to the cross and then ultimately Jesus' resurrection from the grave, we see that he's planting hope in our hearts every step of the way. And so this morning, I just wanted to uh, call the talk, What's True About Hope? What is true about hope? And we're going to center our hearts. The presence of God is already in the room. He's already with us. Oh my goodness, if you can't sense the presence of the Lord right now, he's, he's here with us. And so I'd like to dial us in a little bit further, and I'd like to walk us through a Lectio Divina um, practice together. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a couple of scriptures, and I'm going to ask two simple questions of us. And this is just a time for you to hear from God. You don't have to read anything, any words on the screen. You don't have to hear somebody preaching at you. You just have to sit with the word of God and say, God, what would you be speaking to me in this? So I'm going to read three scripture verses. I'm going to read two, I'm going to ask two different questions in between, and we'll just quiet our hearts together and hear from God. Does that sound like a good idea? Okay, let's do it. Come, Spirit of God. Matthew three sixteen and 17. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting his face up. And a voice from heaven said, this is my Son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Take a minute and be silent before God and ask the question, what's true about who Jesus is? What is true about who Jesus is? John fifteen nineteen. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. Zephaniah three seventeen. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you but will rejoice over you with singing. Now in light of Jesus' baptism, and your being joined with him, ask Jesus this question. What is true about me? What is really true about me? Spirit of God, we thank you for your presence. We pray that you would illuminate our hearts. 
would you light up our faces just like you lit up Jesus' face as he's coming out of the waters? Would you tell us, Jesus, what's really true about us? In the pecking order of society and the comparison and God, could we just in the middle of all the noise hear your voice this morning and gravitate towards your presence? We just love your presence, Jesus. We're lovers of your presence. Come. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill us up, we pray. Amen. Amen. There's this movie Sarah and I love. It's called The Holiday. And there's this British guy and he says, I'm a weeper. I'm a weeper. I can't help it. I'm a weeper. I'm like weeping all over this morning. The Lord's presence is just so good. I don't, I don't know how much I need to preach this morning. He's here this morning with us. I see many of you experiencing God's presence with me. And so we'll just be sensitive to where he wants to go this morning as opposed to where I feel like it needs to go. So come, Spirit. Come, Spirit. We just approach after COVID. We're just learning to approach differently. And so um, we just want to be sensitive to where he's going. Uh, so what we've found, in the, especially these times, is that to be strong is not enough. To live faithfully, we need to know who we are. As a church community and as individuals. So this talk is primarily focused on identity and who we are as a community, who we are as the big C church, and who we are as individual Christians. And where is hope in all of that? After all that our hands have wrought in these past couple of years, after everything that's gone on in our society, through society's shifting sands, Jesus remains faithful. And the living hope that he is is what we need to move forward, to live faithfully. And in our text this morning, we see that Peter, as he's writing to these dear people, to the churches that he's planted, all the way in Asia Minor, in modern-day Turkey, we find three different dimensions that Peter is expressing, these three different realities that unite us as the church that sustain us, that empower us as the church. And he's juxtaposing these three different dimensions against a hostile environment that these Christians, these churches that he's planted are experiencing. And within that, he's asking the question, what is true about us? He's implying the question, what is true? What is really true? about who you are. Not what you do, what's true about what you do, or what you don't do, but what's true about who you are. You know, I could say all day long that what's true about Patty is she makes the best cheesecake under the sun known to man. But she would tell me, hey, that's just what I do. It comes out of who I am, yes? She wants to make amazing cheesecake to bless people. But that's not really who she is, yeah? And so what Peter's doing through three different dimensions here in our scripture for this morning is he's drawing out 
this question of what is true about the church to encourage them, to empower them, to sustain them, to give them living hope. And so we're going to look at those three things quickly. But I'd like to read the scripture first. We're in 1 Peter 2, verses 4 through 10. If you had your Bible, you wanted to read along with me. Turn or swipe there. First Peter 2, starting in verse 4, we read this. As you come to him, Jesus, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in the scriptures it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Ever, ever, ever. Now to you who believe the stone is precious, but to those who do not believe the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone and a stone that causes men to stumble in a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you, 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 and you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So good. I had to read through verse 12 there. Okay, so what are the three dimensions that Peter walks us through? And there are so many deep Old Testament references that Peter draws out to um, encourage the churches that he's planted, that he's writing towards. And the first one that we see in Scripture is that we, as the church, here's what's true about us. Here's what's true about the church. Back in Asia Minor, thousands of years ago, and in Cleveland, Ohio, sitting down here and all over the city, in places like Lakewood, in places like Berea, in places like Brecksville, all over the Big C Church, here's what's true about us, folks. We share a common lineage or heritage. That the only common denominator here this morning is the person of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. The bond that we share throughout the years is in Jesus, in whom we are tied together, Peter is saying. We're joined to him. When we want to find out who we really are as individuals, or as a community, or an organization. We don't look anywhere else other than the person of Jesus Christ. 
He is our common lineage. He is our common heritage. It's in Him we are gathered this morning. It's in His name we are gathered here this morning. It's by His Spirit we are gathered here this morning. It's not some club. It's not some um, non-profit organization. It's the family of God in the person of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So we have a common lineage and heritage. Jesus is a stone, Peter says. Jesus is called a stone. Peter says this stone is alive. And this stone is one that causes men and women to stumble and is offensive to them. This stone is, is, um, is precious. And Jesus, no doubt, Peter is drawing from Jesus' own words in Matthew 21 when Jesus is talking about the parable of the wicked tenants. And Jesus says that the stone that the builders have rejected has become the cornerstone, has become everything. Peter says the stone that the builders have rejected, specifically referring the Jewish nation, but all men and women have rejected. The scriptures say that Jesus was despised and rejected by men. He wasn't flashy. He had nothing to draw us to himself save the fact that he was chosen by God. Rejected by men and women. Chosen by God. Chosen. Precious. And Peter uses this word living Living, as he did in verse 3 that we saw as, as Ben kicked off our series. He uses this word in verse 3 that he's our living hope. In chapter 1, verse 23, we hear Jesus called the living word. Our faith is life-giving. The faith that's ancient, that's been passed down through the generations, is actually life-giving. It's life-giving because Jesus is alive. Jesus is chosen. Jesus is delighted in. What's true about Christ, and here's where we're going to turn a corner, what's true about Christ is what's true about you. That should be really difficult to receive. Difficult to receive in the context of in the context of Peter saying, Oh no, Lord, do not wash my feet. Don't wash my feet at the Last Supper. Don't wash my feet. But what's true of Christ is true of us. And being able to hear that and say, Yes. Yes, that's what's really true about me. What's true about Christ is also true about me. It's a mark of discipleship. It's a mark of following Jesus. To be able to receive that. That that's just the way it is. That Jesus was chosen, delighted in. And you, what's true about him is true about you. As well. We'll draw that out a little bit later. 
But a lot of times, our rejection, whether you're experiencing rejection at work, at home, with family, extended family, in your lives, a lot of times the rejection we experience is because we live in a hostile world. The world is hostile to the gospel. Peter says that there is a way that's been handed down through the generations, through bloodlines, that is hostile, that is evil, that is wicked, that is against Jesus, that doesn't want to see Jesus' kingdom come. There is a way. It's common to everybody. So if you're experiencing rejection, my encouragement is to keep moving towards Christ. Keep moving towards Christ. Because Jesus experienced rejection. And my rejection shows that I'm joined with him. Your rejection shows that you're joined with him. And that's a perspective switch. That's a swap there. To say that, man, I'm being rejected because I'm not lovable. Or I don't have the right clothes. Or I don't know the right people. Or I don't make enough money. Or any of these things. To, to transform that and let God speak into that and say, could you be rejected here because you love Jesus? And isn't that an amazing thing? That Jesus so shines in your life that people have, at your work have actually taken to sabotaging a promotion that you might receive. That Jesus shines so much. What do I have to be afraid of? Okay, sabotage my promotion at work. Jesus loves me. This I know. Right? It's a perspective switch there. His destiny is our destiny. We're joined with him. So sometimes we'll experience rejection, Peter is saying, because we're joined with the stone that the builders have rejected. And then he goes on to say, and here's the second part, that we have an exalted identity. That we have an exalted identity. Peter is saying here in the scripture that we've not just been born again. Church, we've been born again into something. You're not just born again, new life, you and Jesus, all the way till the kingdom come. You've been born into something. You're joined to something ancient, something unmoving. That's precious. You've been joined into the recreation of all things. The rewriting of the narrative. Can we just stop for a second and, and reflect and meditate on the most amazing thing that you and I have been called into? That we haven't just been born again, we've been born into something that's bigger than us, that will outlast us. When Ceruleans, great, great, great grandbabies worship in Jesus' presence. And we watch from glory as a part of the same thing. Come on. Could there be any other story more worthwhile than the story of the recreation of all things through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. No! His presence is worth everything. We're born again into something. Come on! 
Like, let it, let it burn in your heart. Let it stir in your heart this passion to see the recreation of all things. You have an exalted identity. You were born into something. Peter says that you are being built up stone by stone by stone by stone on top of the foundation of the cornerstone of Jesus Christ and that your holy priesthood, it's not just some prayer that you prayed. And then you went on your way. No, you weren't saved to become a good boy or a good girl. (laughs) You weren't saved to, to be good. You become part of the great building project of God on earth. And that building, Peter says, is not just some warehouse on the west side of Cleveland. That building is the temple of God. And that, and that's even deeper. Do you know how special the temple of God is in Jewish history? The, the pinnacle, the center point for all of culture and all of worship hinges on the temple of God in Jerusalem. And Peter is saying to a mostly Jewish audience and now to some pack of Gentiles off in Turkey, no more. The presence of God dwells in you and you and you are the temple of God from now and forever until Jesus comes on earth. His presence is in you and in me and we are the temple of God and we're being built brick by brick by brick by brick, one heart at a time. Isn't that crazy that God's salvation plan, his big plan for the universe It's the local church. (laughs) You're like, what? Great plan, God. You really know what you're doing, don't you? Yes. The recreation of all things. In the temple of God, your exalted identity, the very presence of God, where God's presence dwells. The local church is the most precious thing on the planet Earth. The most precious thing to Jesus is the local church. I love what Eugene Peterson says about choosing a church. <laughs> he, um, Eugene Peterson wrote a translation of the Bible called The Message. And somebody asked him, hey, how do you choose the local church? I love this. You know what Papa Eugene said? He said, find the smallest, (laughs) find the smallest local church and stay there. (laughs) We want bells. We want whistles. We want to grow to a million people. And Jesus is like the local church. Down the street is my plan for redemption of all evil, from all addiction, from all anything that comes into hostility with the gospel and freedom and love and joy and hope. My plan for redemption is this small little group of people called the local church. (laughs) Love it. I love how ordinary that is. I love how beautiful that is. It's the most precious thing on the planet to Jesus. Peter says that we're, we're priests. We're being built into a priesthood, that we are his dwelling place and his priesthood. In verse 9, Peter says who we are. 
And I wonder if we could hear these things in a new perspective this morning. If we could really hear Jesus' heart for us in this. Peter says that we, not just the churches in Asia Minor, but us, that we are a chosen race, that we're a royal priesthood, that we're a holy nation, that we share a common culture, that we are God's own people, that we belong to him, that we're a special possession to him. A chosen race. There's a new bloodline. It's deeper than black, white, Hispanic, Asian. Now there's a new identity. A new race of people called Christians. That give their allegiance to Jesus alone. We're a royal priesthood that you serve. You know, there's only one tribe in the 12 tribes of Israel who were set aside to be priests in the Old Testament, the Levites. And what Peter is saying is so revolutionary. He's saying you all get in. All of you are priests presenting spiritual sacrifices before Jesus. He says you're a holy nation, that you share a common language, you share a common culture common practice and that you're God's own special possession, that you belong to him. And even though Jesus didn't belong and he was despised and rejected, he was accepted by the Father. We're his. We belong to him. We're loved by him through anything, through any sin, through any moment that you think that you are so far from God, he wouldn't even take one look at you, that you are loved by him fiercely and deeply. Because of who he is, the Father sees him on you. Lastly, we have an honored purpose. A privileged or honored purpose. We have meaning. I was just talking to my son, Gen Z. We love Gen Z. We love our Gen Z kids. But do you know that the most nihilistic generation is growing up? What is the purpose if we have every answer on the phone Is there any meaning to life? Does it really matter if I'm a man or a woman? Do you see where that heads? Very much nihilistic. And Peter is saying that there's a purpose for you and for me. There's a purpose for Winnie and for Luca. There's a purpose for Cerulean. There's a purpose for you in your high school. There's a purpose for you at work. There's a purpose for you in college. You have an honored purpose And Peter sets it before us here. He says, hey, religion says, do this and then be forgiven. Your purpose, Jesus says, who we are determines what we do. Not what we do determines who we are. What he's done for us sets a mission before us. And we live in light of that mission. I know that's a lot of horrible, jarble kind of mission theological talk, but the basis, the basic point is that we are, we are defined by, by Jesus. We, who we are determines what we do, not what we do determines who we are. And the example for this is how the father looked on to Jesus as he's raising out of the baptismal waters. And he says, you are my son. 
And in you, I am well pleased. Before Jesus did one miracle, before he even did one thing, he didn't turn the water into wine yet. He didn't feed 5,000 people. He didn't go to the cross yet. He didn't raise from the grave yet. And the Father says, I love you just as you are. You're chosen. In you, I'm well pleased. And this is, I said earlier, this is where it gets tough. Is that the Father says the same thing over you and over my, my life. The Father is saying, in you, I am well pleased. In you, I am well pleased you're accepted. You're loved. Cherished. Adored. Chosen. There's a study that was done with mothers of newborn babies and shirts. And it was like thousands of women in America. Thousands of moms. And what they did was they took three different babies' shirts and then they blindfolded the mother and they said, which shirt belongs to your baby? Guess how many moms were able to pick out their baby's shirt? A hundred percent. All of them. Why? Because that baby belongs to the mother. And whether that mother felt a certain special bond with that baby or not, because sometimes it happens and sometimes it doesn't. Right, moms? You know. But they, that baby belongs to the mother. In the same way, am I saying wear deodorant before God? <laughs> no. In the same way, you belong to God. Just because you belong to God. That when you walk into the room, your father can pick you out from amongst the crowd and say, that one's mine. That one belongs to me. Didn't Jesus say it? Didn't he say it in John when he said, I go and I I prepare a place for you. If it wasn't so, I would have told you the truth. You belong to me. I'm going to get this ready for you, just for you. I'm saving you a seat at the table in the kingdom. Belong to God. You're accepted by God. 